Hello and welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner with Karen Sharp Price. This podcast will inform and inspire you in your quest to find the right career path. If you're just starting out, looking to make a change in your field or transitioning into a new career, then this podcast is for you. We'll be sharing tips and providing resources on topics such as writing resumes, interviewing, using LinkedIn, and networking. We will take a look at different careers, companies, and opportunities. You will hear success stories from professionals in all career paths, and so much more. You will leave this podcast with three key takeaways that you can easily put into practice. Enjoy! Welcome to Sharp HR Career Corner. I'm Karen Sharp Price. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We've invited Duncan Kirkwood to join us. He has a great career story that I know will inspire many of you who are about to hear it. And I thought this would be a great two-part episode to finish off 2021 um, with our podcast. So thank you so much, Duncan, for coming on and talking to us today. Oh, now I don't hear you, Duncan. Hold on. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, nice, nice. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're you're very welcome. Thank you. That was good. I'll give you that. (laughs) The the pause was like, oh no. Um, So let's start. Let's start your 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 whole journey here. Let's talk. Where did you grow up? Where does the story begin? Yeah. So I'm I'm from Buffalo, New York. I grew up on the east side of Buffalo uh, in Central Park over by Bennett High School. Okay. Uh, very rough time, very rough neighborhood. I went to six, school 61, and then it was just a terrible school. So my mother uh, got me into Olmstead. So I was able to go to Olmstead. So this is before Olmstead had a high school. Okay. Uh, so I ended up at eighth grade going to performing arts because I played the piano. Uh, my oh. mom had me in like, classic piano lessons since I was seven, piano and chess. And so I um, was able to use the, uh, my piano skills to get into performing arts high school. Wow. Now, had I known that, I would have had you play a little piano to start us off. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you went to, I believe, Alabama State University? Yes. Where Where did the idea of public relations come in? So, yeah. So, all right. So I was going to be a journalist. So when I went to college, the plan was I was going to be a news reporter. Okay. Uh, So, I mean, I was like into this. I don't know what came over me. It was just like, I think I did a personality test at UB and it said that I would be something in media or a politician. And uh, I didn't like the idea of a politician. So I was like, news, I'll be a journalist. So I go to college. I, I start writing for my school newspaper. I'm taking, you know, introductory journalism classes. And then after like two semesters, I realized I'm not a good writer. Like writing for news is like incredibly difficult. It's like they use a different language. It's called associated press style. And it's it just it, it's like. English language, but it's like a secret English language where every word has a special different meaning. And it it just didn't work for me. And after enough stories came back, you know, edited with all this red ink, I said, you know what, this isn't for me. You know, I tried it. I got to push through and I just like, you know what, this is not for me. So I decided to find a new major and I was looking in the Department of Communications and I came across public relations, which at the time I didn't even know what that was. So I had to like do some research and I was like, oh, okay, I could, I like the idea. I could get like 
help make people famous and like get them on magazines and stuff like that. And I was like, that sounds like something I could do. And I really liked it. So then I switched my major to public relations. And since it was in the same department, I didn't have to like retake too many courses or anything like that. Okay. And so when you started in public relations and really started to get into it a little bit deeper, did you have that moment ever where you were like, this is it? This is what I should have been doing? Uh, Kind of. So, no. Okay. So I've never had a job in public relations. Okay. But my entire life, I've never had a job in public relations, right? But the skills that I learned getting a public relations degree, I've used in every job. So the, the moment in college for me was when I got ready to run for student body vice president. Hmm. So I was running for student body vice president and I'm like a controversial person. So some people love me. Some people hated me in college. You know, that's <laughs> it. So this was not like some easy, like, you know, win. this was, I was going to have to battle, you know, and, um, but I'm a public relations major running up against, uh, I don't know. I think it was a political science major or something like that. Right. And so they're like all political sciencey with their, you know, college campaign. I'm PR. So I'm running ads. I made a video. It was funny. This is way too much information. But we had like TVs, like monitors in our cafeteria. Uh Um, I don't even know why, because they never played anything on them. But I made a video, like a Vote For Me commercial. Uh And then I got it on a CD and I had it played in our cafeteria every day of the election. Right. (laughs) Because no, there was nothing else being played there. So, like, I was doing stuff like that, door-to-door outreach. I knew how to get flyers made, where to get them in bulk for a good price. So, I mean, I had, like, this this ridiculous, you know, large campaign for a college that nobody had ever really seen. Huh. Like, and, you know, a campus election is normally, you know, you do the debates and you tell your friends and maybe make an announcement in class. They had no, no one had ever seen people with T-shirts and dance groups. <laughs> fire engines coming across campus and like it was just unheard of not wow. to mention I had a team of people knocking on doors every day and it was like nobody had ever experienced anything like this and I mean I had water bottles and I stripped off the labels and I printed labels and put the vote for Duncan around the water bottles and was getting it's Alabama so it's super hot and I'd be at like when the Greeks would do their big unveiling ceremonies, take off the mask, who just crossed. I'm throwing out, me and my team are throwing out hundreds of waters with our logo on them and stuff. Like, it was just like incredible. So any, needless to say, I won pretty strongly. <laughs> uh, that to me was like, oh, I like this public relations stuff. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. like, this, 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 is, this is good stuff here. <laughs> so, so you graduate, you got a degree in public relations. What do you want to do with that now? So yeah, I wanted to go work for a public relations firm. So I applied to uh, 43 public relation firms and I got 43 rejection letters Wow! Uh, because they wanted you to have PR firms want you to have the degree. You have to have the credential, but they also want three to five years experience, uh, which obviously I didn't have. And so except you, know, you had I a heck it. of a campaign that you you did. Right. If they, yeah, if they yeah, had yeah. only so, seen that, they would have hired you in a minute. Well, I put that on there, but they it wasn't. <laughs> they didn't so, understand that the depth of the, what you did. And what they really wanted was somebody. They they wanted the type of person who would come graduate and then intern for a couple years and then you know what I mean, take a real job. Gotcha. Uh, and so I'm, you know, it's January. It's like December, then January, my senior year, and I'm like, 
I don't got a job. Like, I got to figure something out. Because, see, a lot of my friends were like education majors. Well, they know they're going to go teach. They got their schools lined up or law schools lined up, whatever. I have no idea. I'm like, oh, shoot, I, I never thought about this. So I joined Army. I said, I'm not going back to Buffalo to go live in my mom's basement. Uh, that's not happening. So I I enlisted January 11th of 2007. Uh, no, January 11th of 2008, excuse me. And I graduated in May, May 5th. And then June 5th, I was headed to boot camp in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Oh uh, because I knew that in the military, at a minimum, they would pay for my master's degree. Um, so that was my, so I didn't do full-time. I did um, part-time, the Army National Guard. So okay. they would pay for my master's degree. So wow. go to boot camp in 2008, come back, and then I started grad school in ROTC. So I ended up, once I got my master's degree, I also was an Army officer. Uh, so I got paid a little bit more, have, and now I've got experience. Now I've got the military credential. Now I've got the master's degree. So I'm much more marketable um, by that point. And then I had done a lot of policy work. Um, so wait a minute. I got to go back, though. So so you graduated from college, and it in in May, or actually you said in January, so it hit you like you didn't have anything set up for after graduation. D- did you, prior to that moment, have any thought about the military? Absolutely not. So my, I, I don't have a, like, a, I'm not from a big military family. In fact, when I told my mom I was going to join the military, she was very angry um, because she thought that she's like, as a mom, I've done everything I can to get you out of the hood in Buffalo, into college, through college, and you're going to go throw it away to go to Afghanistan. And she was just like very angry about that. I wrote yeah. about that in my book. Uh, she was like very angry. Um because she was ignorant. And I was too, in a way, because we thought that the military was like this army fighting force where everybody's kicking in doors and shooting terrorists and stuff. But that's really not true. The military is just a big company. So if you got a major company, yeah, you got your fighting force, you got your security. So you got those people like, yeah, hoorah, you know, they want to go kick in doors and stuff. You got that. But you, what else do you need for a big company? Fashion designers, people to go play the trumpet at funerals. Like it's they got musicians whose full time job is to travel around going to military funerals and playing music. Yeah, they got people who design the uniforms to do intelligence, human resources. That's what I worked in. I worked in the human resources department. People who do finance. So just like you have accountants and tax people, they have army accountants and tax people. So everything that you could do in a civilian company, you do. They have jobs for it uh, in the military. Mm. I didn't know that at first, but then once I found, I said, "Oh, okay, cool." You know. uh, Yeah. So. that's not that's not like scary anymore. It's like, oh, I'm going to do human resources. Like, oh, yeah. okay, cool. You know. And, <laughs> so, and how and long worked. were you there? That was eight years. Wow, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. But it was part time, so I was able to have a civilian job at the same time. Okay. And um, I uh, did some policy work. I, I worked for a council member. My first job. So my so I, so I graduated, go to boot camp come back to start my master's degree and I had to get a job. My first real job, I worked for a city council member in Montgomery, Alabama, making $19,000 a year. Wow. That was my that was my first job. And I was so happy about it. it I, I was like, I was so excited because <laughs> I like, I'm doing real, the stuff that you like we did in college with student government, we're doing it in real life. I'm like researching laws, writing laws, going to try to whip the votes of the council members to get them to vote for it. Like I was like, it was probably the best job I ever had. The council member never had an employee. So he's like, just go be great, Duncan. You know, <laughs> so he's like free range. I was renaming streets because in Montgomery, they have some streets like Dixie Avenue, Dixie Drive, Dixie Lane. 
and that's like a, a callback to the Confederacy and stuff. Okay. So we renamed them to like Claudette Colvin Boulevard, who she was the, the woman before Rosa Parks who didn't give up her seat. She's actually the one they built the Supreme Court case around that desegregated the bus. Anyway, wow. so we, we renamed it like Claudette Colvin, Jesse Owens. We were, you know, so I just, I guess I got to do anything. Like anything yeah. happened. He, and so it was like a great job. I wasn't making no money, but it was a great job. So yeah. then after that, the uh, the current school board president of, in Montgomery Public Schools, her name was Charlotte, she stepped down from Montgomery Public Schools school board to take a position as the state director, uh, the state outreach director for Students First. Okay. Students First was the organization that Michelle Ree has started in D.C. So mm. she was the chancellor of D.C. schools. And she like turned around D.C. schools by doing all of this stuff that everybody always knows knew needed to be done. But nobody would have the the fortitude to step up to the union to yeah. fight against the teachers union. So she fired bad teachers, bad principals. She opened charter schools. She gave parents school choice. I mean, she just did all the stuff. You know, she she tied teachers um, pay and opportunity to their evaluations and to their their how good they were doing in the classroom. She got rid of seniority as like the be all and like she just she was a radical. She wrote a book called Radical. Like wow. And so she turns around DC schools. The union couldn't get her out at first. So then in DC the mayor appoints the chancellor so that the union just got the new mayor elected so the new mayor could get rid of her. Oh. Um, so now she's out. And all these governors are like, come to my state, come to my state. So she went on Oprah and she said, Oprah, I'm starting a national organization to transform public education called Students First. So anyway, that was Michelle Reed. Wow. She, when they opened a chapter in Alabama, the school board president became their outreach director in Alabama and she needed an organizer. And she had seen me doing this work with the council member and said, Duncan, are you interested? I didn't know nothing about education policy. I mean, nothing. Yeah. I didn't know the difference between a magnet school and a charter school. I mean, I, I just didn't know at all. Okay. Right. So then I, I go meet with her. I'm quick Google searching. I'm trying to research, you know, try to do a little <laughs> bit. And, and, she, and I tell her, I said, listen, Sean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know much about education policy. She said, but you know the community. She mm -hmm. says, you know how to connect with people in the community. And we want you to come work. I want you to come help me do this work across the state of Alabama. And... I said, okay, what's the salary? Now, at the time, I'm making $19,000. So I said, what's the salary? She says, 37500 Say yes. <laughs> right? so, so I take the job with students first. So I'm doing that for a couple of years. I'm going around the state. I'm working with teachers, with fighting for education policy and change. And I meet this guy. He is a state director for a national nonprofit. So this national nonprofit called BAO, the Black Alliance for Educational Options, they've got chapters in like 13 states. He was the state director for Alabama. So we meet and we have lunch and we're talking. He said, and I'm like 26, 27. And he's like, you know what, Duncan? I like you. He said, yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not staying here in this job. He said, I'm leaving this job in nine months. I'm gonna start my own private consulting firm. And I said, okay, cool. He said, I want you to be my replacement. And I say, thank you. So then I go back to work. That's like, you know, I don't hear from him again for another four, five, seven months, whatever. Yeah. And like seven, seven months later, he calls me, said, Duncan, I just resigned. I'm no longer with Bale. So I'm going to recommend that you, they interview you to take over. So they, the national staff comes in, they're interviewing all these people. I'm by far the youngest, by far the least connection. And... They take a chance on me. Now, I, let me tell you how I dazzled them. This is, okay, so y'all, if, if there's any students that watch this, let me tell you how I dazzled them. I go in, we sit down, and they always ask you your personal story. So I tell them my personal story. 
then they always ask you this question. What do you know about our organization? Okay. And what they didn't know is that I'm Duncan Kirkwood. So when they, I have been preparing for weeks. They didn't even tell me the salary. I didn't even know the salary. I just knew it was obviously state director makes way more than I make. Right. So they said, what do you know about the organization? I said, well, I know your mission is, and I had memorized a mission. So I recited their mission. You know, our mission is to, you know, work with low-income families to increase educational opportunities for black and Hispanic low-income families across the state of Alabama, blah, 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 blah. They were like, they were like blown away. You know what I'm saying? They said, man, that mission sounds good, right? So then I talked a little bit more about and anyway, they ended up taking a chance on me. Wow. And the salary was seventy-five thousand. So it essentially doubled my salary from so my first job council member to first student it doubled from 19 to 37 basically yeah then it doubled again to be the state director now they was i was an executive so i'm a state director five thousand dollar limit credit card uh i'm getting reimbursed for mileage because i got to drive back and forth across the state i'm still getting my monthly drill check from the army so my paycheck was like 2400 every two weeks every on the off weeks i'm getting like four or five hundred dollars for mileage checks and I'm getting once a month $500 from the National Guard, and I'm doing great work. I'm doing something I'm passionate about. I'm fighting for the education of low-income children across yeah. the country. And so, yeah, that was All right, now wait a minute, though. Your mother had to be extremely proud. Oh, yeah. At that so the funny, thing about my parents, the funny thing about my parents, Karen, they're so proud, but they really have never really known what I do. Right now, it's, it's simple enough for them to understand that I'm a speaker. So they can get that. But when I'm the state director of a nonprofit fighting for educational equity, and I'm a lobbyist, I'm technically a lobbyist That's as well, um, they, 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 just have, they, like, they just have no concept. Like, they're, they're, you know, they're old school. So those, those type of jobs don't even, those words don't mean anything to them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And um, they just have always been supportive and pushing me and uh, it's been great. So then doing the work for bail and then I had a life changing moment. We had, we, I, I helped write the charter school law in Alabama. We passed it in the state legislature. It had, it had before I took over as director, it had failed twice in years prior. The union mm. destroyed it. Cause see the teachers union in Alabama is different. See in, in here, we have a white teachers union in Buffalo, yeah. right? The teachers yeah. union is like largely white suburban, you know what I mean? And the kids are largely black and Hispanic, right? In Alabama, that ain't the case. In Alabama, it's all black teachers. The teachers union is like 90% black because it's all these HBCUs and black colleges. So they're graduating hundreds of black teachers every semester. So the teachers union is somebody's aunt. It's the pastor at the church. It's your grandma. So you fighting a, it's a whole different fight because these are people you look up to, you respect. They're your friends, family. They're your community leaders. They're they're not people like in Buffalo. Our teachers come from like West Seneca and stuff like that. Yeah. Largely, and now in Montgomery, them teachers live there. They yeah. live in Montgomery. They, you know what I mean? They live, you know, in Birmingham. <laughs> the teachers live in Birmingham. You know, so it's a whole different type of battle. And um, so my, anyway, we passed these laws under my leadership. It was great. And my boss comes to town. I'm like, who promotion time? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I like we passed that law and uh, we, we added on a voucher. We, we just been doing incredible work. Yeah. And my boss comes, he flies down. I'm thinking, who jackpot, I'm going to go, going to go up again. Right. <laughs> the national director. Right. And uh, uh, I was going to try to, I was trying to get the job of national director of advocacy. And she says, we in this soul food restaurant in Montgomery. 
And she says, listen, Doctor, you have done incredible work. Your team is our premier team in the organization. Wow. The funders could not be happier about the work that you've done. However, because you have been so successful, the funders have said it doesn't make sense to keep putting money into this state when we can go put money in another state because we won the battle here. We <sighs> created school choice for black families. And so this was like September. She said, so as of December 31st, we are closing down this Alabama chapter of the Black Alliance for Educational Options. Oh, my gosh. Find new jobs. Now, she was like, listen. For the next three months, we're going to help support you. We'll write letters of recommendation. We'll plug you in our networks. You don't have to do no more work. All you got to do for the next three months, we're going to pay you like regular, but you all go find jobs. So you can use this time to go find what's next. Oh, my gosh. That was really kind of them to make sure they took care of us in that way. Yeah. And so at this time, I'm dating my now wife. So we, we're high school sweethearts from performing arts on and off through life. Oh. We reconnected at our 10-year reunion. So now we're getting kind of serious. <laughs> and the plan was her to move to Alabama. So the plan was going to be her. She's going to move down to Alabama with me. You know, yeah. even both our families are from Buffalo. Uh, but once I lost my job, <laughs> yeah. I had to start looking for a new job. I, it was like serendipity because I, I was applying to all these places, getting rejection here, rejection here. Oh, uh, they don't have the right salary to afford me. Because now, you know, once you get a taste of seventy-five thousand, I ain't going back. I'm not going back to thirty or forty thousand. I'm, I'm, I'm not even entertaining the idea. Yeah. So, um, she's supposed she was gonna come down here. So we look at, and I found a job in Buffalo. Uh, they were looking for a Western New York advocacy manager for the Northeast Charter Schools Network, which is a statewide with New York and Connecticut charter school organization. Like, wow. know, they help charter schools do better. And they lead an advocacy manager. And so, and then here you go, students, if you listen and know your value, right? So they say, listen, Duncan, our salary, like we can only pay, I think they were looking for something like 60,000, right? And so they asked for my salary requirements and I put 75, because that's what I wanted. And so, <laughs> No, they, oh, sorry, they wanted fifty. They were gonna pay somebody fifty thousand, and I wanted s- at least seventy. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, uh, you know, this, you know, and they had two positions. They looked for one for Buffalo and one for Rochester. And so I get in the interview because I because the lady didn't hit me back after a while. We did an interview. It went great. They were, lo- you know, how you have an interview and you know you got it. Like you yeah. know you killed. Like, so I know. I, I mean, I got the language because I've been doing it. Like so, yeah. I know how to- so I, I got the track record. I've got experience. I've got proven. I got media clips. Like, I'm killing. I know I'm getting this job, right? <laughs> and they don't call me back. And then after, like, two, three weeks now, you know, it's getting closer to that December 31st date. Okay, that's yeah, like the that's deadline. Right. Okay? So it's like early December, and I'm like, I can't wait for them no more. So I call them. Like, hey, I thought the interview went really well. You know, what's up? You know, and they say, um, the lady says to me, she said, listen, I'll be honest with you, Duncan. You're amazing. You're exactly what we need, but we can't afford your salary requirements. Wow. I said, okay, well, let's do this. Can we? Can I meet with your team? I have an idea. So she sets up a meeting with her team, and I say, listen, I really like your organization. It's in Buff. I get to live in Buffalo with my fiance. We get to, you know, it's my hometown. I know the area. Like this is a perfect situation. And they're like, yeah, we can't afford you your, your salary, your minimum requirements. I said, well, I got an idea for you. You're looking for an advocacy manager in Buffalo and an advocacy manager in Rochester. Why don't you just let me do both and pay me what I want? And they all looked at each other like, <laughs> can we do that? They, right. They, they said, Duncan, do you think you can handle two cities? 
said, I've been running the operations for an entire state for the last two years. I think I can handle Buffalo and Rochester. You're hired. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> and then I moved back to Buffalo in 2016 and did some more advocacy work around education and ended up running for office. So that's like, all of that long story to say, I, in 20, I ran for office twice. So I ran in 2017 and lost for county legislator. Okay. Then I ran again in 2019. But in 2019, I had a different job. I was working with the Northland Training Center, oh. uh, doing all of their out, doing their outreach and stuff. Great program, great leadership. Yep. But due to some local politics, they were like, the came from the top. If Duncan runs for office, he got to quit his job at Northland. Oh. Now in Buffalo, normally when they say that, people just say, "Well, I'm not going to run because you mm-hmm. know they don't want to quit job." But I'm not here. I'm dunking. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'll see you later. You know, so I get my two weeks notice and I left, you know, and I, I still love those folks. That they're, they're like, they're really doing amazing work at Northland. Yeah. But I can't be put in a box where I got to choose. So I just left, ran, and I still lost the election. Huh. But after I lost the election, I have no job. I had no job, no prospect. I hadn't thought past the election. And so after it was over, I said, you know what? I'm going to write this book I've been thinking about. So I, I've been having this from when I was in the army. I was a resilience trainer um, because we had more soldiers dying from suicide than combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So they trained soldiers like me to become master resilience trainers. And I would go to different units to teach soldiers to become more resilient. Oh, so I said I, so I said, I'm going to take that training and I'm going to mix it with some Stephen Covey, some Eckhart Tolle, some. P.D. Ospensky, Paulo Coelho, all of these philosophers on being and purpose and ego. And I'm going to make something that the average person could use to become more resilient. So I wrote a book called Rerouting Resilience Tools and Tactics, uh, which we have published. Uh, I wrote it in 29, at the end of 2019 and got ready to launch it. 2020 Key Bank was going to purchase 200 copies for my launch. I had the venue. It was great. And then COVID oh. just, just smacked me down. You know what I'm saying? As yes. Well, I'm like, oh. It's, uh, so then, but that's okay because what we found quickly after about two months, three months into the pandemic was that people were feeling more isolated, more depressed. Suicide rates were higher than they've been in decades for all ages, all races, all socioeconomic levels. So right. the book and the training was actually more needed than it ever would have been. Yeah. Right. So I, since that time, I've been going to schools, colleges, organizations, companies, talking with staff, professors, PhDs. Like I've been a training for PhDs around resilience and mental toughness and mental agility all the way down to middle school students out in Utah and back and forth. I, I've, I've taught, done a talk for students at Wake Forest University and the United Women of Singapore um, and every like and everything in between all our resilience and mental oh health. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, it's just been an incredible journey to go like all those ups and downs. And now I'm finally in my purpose. Cause see, when I wanted to be an elected official, it wasn't like elected officials make a lot of money. That was going to okay. be a pay cut. Yep. Right. I would take a, any position elected, I had to take a pay cut. Right. Mm-hmm. The county I was running for the county legislature paid 48,000. So I would have to go from my normal, what I'm used to make it drop down to 48,000, but I wanted to serve. Yeah. So it wasn't about the money, right? Council members, I think make like, uh, 55,000 something like that. So it's like, it wasn't about, it was about, I wanted to serve. But what I learned was my purpose is to help people is to use my voice to impact change in people's lives. And I thought being an elected official was when it was how I was going to do it, but that didn't work out. But now as a speaker and a trainer and a coach, I'm still 
walking through the line, the line of my purpose. I'm still walking in purpose and bringing my voice to change people's lives just in a different way than I originally thought. I just rerouted, right? But I'm right. still to the goal of walking in purpose. And it's beautiful and amazing. And I'm making more money than I ever could have imagined, ever. I grew up in the hood in Buffalo, in Central Park. My parents together raised me on $50,000. So my most of my life, my thought was, if I could get a job making $50,000, I'm, I'm good money. I'm, I'm a, you know, I can right. live a good life. I'm a vacation once a year, you know, just because I thought my life was good growing up. Yeah. Now I got one contract with one nonprofit for 46000 Wow. I got a, a contract with a private school for 20000 a contract with two other schools for 10000 each. And so, again, it's not to say in a braggadocious way. It's just so people understand that when you get in purpose and when you master what your, your craft, you can command real money and really impact people's lives. And I never saw this for myself. Like, I, I mean, I had hope, you know, you hope and you dream at night, sure. but I never in real life thought that regularly I would be getting checks, 4,000, 8,000, you know, like just coming in, like it changed. I don't even look at money the same no more. You know what right. I mean? When you, when you have to work for every dollar, yeah. like you go to work, you put in time, you get a check, that money has more value mm -hmm. to me. You're going to give me what? I'm sorry. You're going to give me $4,000 $4, to come speak for 45 minutes and bring 50 books? Yep. Got you. I'll be on the way. Right. <laughs> now, you know, you get that check. And it's like, now, now I'm not, I don't want to downplay the value that I'm bringing because I'm, yeah. I'm preparing. I'm memorizing my speech. I'm researching my audience. I'm doing the work. But it, it don't feel like work. Yeah. It, it just, yep. it just. It, it almost feels like I'm, if I'm being honest with you, it feels like I'm getting away with something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I can't believe this is happening. You know I mean? uh, and, and, it, and I think that that's when you walk into your purpose, it should feel like that. Like, when you, it should feel, you should feel good. It shouldn't feel like work. You should love it. And you should be paid well. I never yeah. even could fathom this life. And I'm just so, so fortunate to be in this space. That, that is an amazing story. And that is something that, like, as a career coach, I, that is my biggest goal for every single client is to find what that purpose is. And everybody has their own purpose and, and whatever that passion is. But to, but to feel that, to know that, and to wake up, you know, like when when Sunday comes around, you're probably all pumped to see what Monday's going to bring. And some people are dreading having to go back to their job on Monday morning. Or, you know, they can't wait to get to Friday. And you are probably, you know, I can't believe Friday's already here. Like, I don't want it to be here already because you got so much more to do. So it's just such a different space to be in. And it's such a great place to be in. It is. It is, Karen. And to your point, I don't look at the days of the week like, no, like most people do. Yeah. Like, my wife is a social worker, so she has a real job. She's yeah. a social worker, <laughs> nine to five, Monday to Friday. She runs a program in Lockport. Really powerful stuff. But it ended up, uh, on Friday, she's like, whew, let me get a glass of wine. It's been a week, <laughs> right? And I'm like, every day, I don't even, the week and the weekend don't mean nothing to me. I work on the weekends and I'll take a day on the week off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I if, if I get too stressed out, like I have like back-to-back -back Zoom calls or something, yeah. you know, I say, you know what? I'm done for the day. And I just turn on my PlayStation, which is in my office. And I just start playing PlayStation, get my he headset on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like today, today is Thursday. I've been looking forward to today for a long time because a new Spider-Man comes out. And as soon as I get off this call, I got like two more, two, three more things to do. And I'm going up to the Galleria because I got to go see Spider-Man. All right. Because I just do. It's You're enjoying freedom. life. 
Yeah, it's a freedom. It's like a celebration. Every day is like this. This because it's like you know. And another thing, here's another tip for you students. Your email is oh, that's my favorite social network. Y'all, you like when y'all like when y'all Snapchat goes off or your Facebook pings. Nope. For me, when I hear that email, (laughs) that's opportunity knocking. If you ever want to know, you know they say when opportunity knocks, you gotta be ready. You wanna know what opportunity sound like? It sound like that Gmail going off. I'm I'm quick to grab my phone. I'm like, what's happening? You know, and so um so yes, Karen, I'm I'm incredibly blessed. I'm I'm so fortunate to be in this space. Uh, but I've had a number of set, more setbacks than the average person can imagine. You know, but that's probably why you appreciate what you've got because of where you came from and the journey that got you to where you are now. You can fully like wrap your arms around it and really like love every minute of what you're doing right now. It that that's like that's like unbelievable. It it really is. Like so, I got to ask you like. So you get in front of these crowds, and I've seen pictures on LinkedIn, Facebook. I've seen these crowds that you talk to. I would probably be a little intimidated if I had to do that. Like, because, one, they're kids, and, like, kids don't hold back. So if they like you, they like you. If they don't, they don't. So you got that going on right away. But how do you feel when you're up there on the stage or just, you know, on the ground level with them, walking around, talking to them? What feelings do you get when you're doing that? So, um, I get nervous every time. So right before they introduce me, I always get my heart starts racing, like, like just about to burst out of my chest. Right. And I'm just like tingling all around and I, but I like it. It's like, like, I'm like, I love that feeling because I feel alive. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's good nervous energy. Uh, so that's how I feel. Um, when I'm walking around interacting with them, I love it. You know what I mean? Because I'm here to bring some information, some knowledge. But if I'm being really honest, I know what's going to happen. Hmm. See, so that's the thing. See, I, I, it's not a mystery what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> when you bring me to speak to your students, I know 100% what's going to happen. I know when they're going to laugh. I know when they're going to cry, when people are going to be talking. I got to quiet them down. When somebody's going to blurt something out. I know when they're going to do the call and response. I got it down to a science. I'm an wow. expert at what I do because I got the reps. I did the reps. Okay. So in the army, whenever we do anything, we say rehearsals, rehearsals, rehearsals. Right. So if, if, if our plan was we've got a, we're at Karen's house and we've got to go three houses down and we got to get all four apples off the dining room table without somebody seeing us. Okay. Well, in the army, if that's our plan, we don't just start moving. No, no, we don't move. First, we write the plan out on the on the whiteboard. Here's the plan. Here's step one. This is going to happen. Step two. This is going to happen. Step right. So then after that, we do a sand trap. We call it a sand trap or a sand table where we get on the ground. We all sit on the floor or obviously we could be at a table and we actually recreate the space with objects. So here's a box. This is this is one house. This, and we all like use little action figures or little sticks or twigs to represent what each person is going to be doing at each time. We walk it through like that. Then we actually stand up and we all get in our position and we go, okay, you're going to go left three feet, tap me right there. I'm going to turn. We walk through rehearsals, rehearsals, rehearsals. So when we say, when the commander says, all right, time to go, 0800, we are an expert at going to get those apples. We know exactly what's going to happen every step of the way on the way to get the apples. I bring that same energy to my speeches. 
So if you say, Carrot Duncan, I want you to come speak to students at Damon. First, I'm going to practice the speech. I'm going to memorize the speech. I'm going to research Damon, throw a little stuff in there to make sure that speech fits what is going on currently at Damon or in the news, right? Uh-huh. But then I'm going to say, and right here, this is where I do it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I say, next we're going to bring up Duncan Kirkwood. And then I walk up. And I, and I pretend like I'm there with the students and I rehearse the whole speech from beginning to end. I record myself, everything. I time it, everything. Okay, I leave space for questions. I leave time for applause. Then, all right, I'm feeling good about the speech, right? Now I go get some people. I go get my kids. I go get some friends on Zoom, my frat brothers. and say, listen, I'm about to do this speech. I need y'all feedback. And I do the whole speech for them. And I get feedback. And I know, so now I know when they're going to laugh, when they're going to have a question, when there's going to be a long pause, because I got a little mini audience, right? Huh. So now when I come up on stage at Damon, I'm ready, Karen. You get what I'm saying? Wow. I am like yeah. ready to roll. I know exactly what's about to happen. Now I've done that 60 times <laughs> this year. So now that I've done it 60 times, I'm a, I am a total expert at what's going to happen when I come to get on stage. And so the rehearsals built that confidence where not only am I confident in, that I can do a good job, but I know exactly what's going to happen. Like I'm a hundred percent clear on what's going to happen. And at the end of this, and at the end of this session, you know, what's not this session, but at the end of the talk, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a line of kids coming up to me to take selfies uh, because they were so moved and so impacted by what I shared that they're going to be lined up to take selfies and follow me on social media. Wow. Right. Because I'm, pre- I prepared myself um, to, for this moment through rehearsals, through practice. That impact though, that impact that you're having on those kids that maybe grew up in a similar style that you did and, and, and see you up there and see you how, how fired up you get and, and how um, you, you know, I don't know what your, your, um, what you say in, in your speeches, but if you talk about where you came from and where you are now and, and how you got there and, and some of the bumps along the way, I mean, that's that's got to be an incredible, humbling feeling for you to to then get a chance to see them one-on-one on the side and to talk to them. Because I'm sure they probably very quickly try to share something about them um, mm-hmm. so that you can make that, that connection. But wow, like every night, do you are you, when you're done? Are you pumped up? Or are you like, wow, you just sucked every living <laughs> piece of energy out of you? Which which way do you go after? I'm pumped up. Yeah, I'm I'm on a high because I'm an extrovert. Okay. So, um, for those of you who are listening, I know you know Karen, but I'll say for your listeners, um, the, the I learned the difference between an introvert and an extrovert. An introvert because we always kind of glamorize extroverts, like, oh, you're an extrovert, you're outgoing, that's awesome, right? But the difference, there's a real difference. Introverts create their own energy, right? Like, so if you're an introvert and you had a really bad day, you're going to come home and you need peace and quiet so you yes. can get yourself together, recreate your energy before you interact with someone else. Have a you're an extrovert and you, if you have an, if you're an extrovert and you have a bad day, you need to talk to someone huh. because you need to, to pull energy. Extroverts can't create their own energy. They pull energy from other people. So me being an extrovert, when I go speak, I'm pulling energy from all the students. So at the end, when we're done, like I am like so full of energy, I've like gotta like calm myself down because I've had so much of an energy exchange and, and taken 
all their vibes and energy that I'm like, whoo, whoo, I gotta like, you know what I mean? Like, like, okay, all right, okay, I'm back. Yeah. Which is why I love when like after I get done, the principal or somebody say, oh, Duncan said this, and we, that, that goes with our school mission, and we're just so happy. Thank you, Duncan. And then they're talking that they can give me like another minute or two so I can like, whoo kind of just catch my breath and stuff before I start interacting with folks. That is, that is amazing. So how do you, how would you like someone to describe you to a group of people and what you do? What, what is your key words that you like to, to have used around you to describe you? So I am a global resilience advocate. That's what the shirt says. I like global the shirt. Yep. I noticed that. <laughs> um, that is a made up title. I just made that up. Well, actually, that was uh, good. Actually, a PR firm made it up for me. But yeah, so it, sound, it sounds important. So I like that as a title. Uh, but I, I'm a speaker. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, if you want to get fancy for the college educated circuit, I am a ex, I'm considered an expert on psychological resilience. Wow. Um, so, if, you know, we need, you know, sometimes those PhDs need the fancier terms. So I hit them, let them tell them that I'm an expert on psychological resilience, helping build the psychological resilience critical for success. Okay. Like, so. We got that down. But if you just say, like, what is Doug? He's a speaker. I'm, I'm a speaker. Wow. Right? Like, like yeah, I'm a the, motivational speaker. I'm a trainer. Um, I, have I, think mass- you have, I think you have a high, I think you have a stronger impact, though, than most speakers. Yes. A hundred percent. I have mastered the ability. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get real earthy for a second. Okay. So remember, okay. So I have been reading books on being and purpose like nobody's business. Okay. I've been just everyone, everything from Freakonomics, the Alchemist, the Celestine Prophecy, Nikolai Machiavelli's The Prince, Rene Descartes' Thoughts on Meditation, like everything I can get my Sung Ju, The Art of War, The Carballion by the Three Initiates, like any, I'm reading all of this stuff, right? And I have learned how to connect to other people's energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have mastered the ability to be in a space with someone and connect to their energy. And now, once, and then once I quickly connect to their energy, then I can move it. Then I can sway it. So I have mastered the ability to connect with people's energy and move them into the direction of becoming their best self. Wow. Um, and so I'm able to do it one-on-one or with a group really quickly. And so because of that, it only I, in 45 minutes, I can have at the end of the, to- at the, end of the speech, people are crying. Like at the end of the, at the end of my speech, there are literally students with tears, not like their eyes watery, and they're like, "I'm okay." No <laughs> tears running down their face, can barely speak because they're boohoo crying. Like I never thought of it like that. Nobody's ever said this to me. I needed that, Duncan. I needed that more than you can imagine. You know, I had one student come to me in Niagara Falls High School when I got done and said I was thinking about suicide. You know, I I, I just got done talking. They said, "Listen," they pulled me to the side and they said, "Listen, I was thinking about suicide." And hearing you talk today saved me. It changed everything about it. And so it is a powerful moment when you really connect to people and they they feel they feel it. Because what I what happened with me, the more I read, the more I realized that these philosophers, it wasn't so much that they were teaching me things through the book so much as they were putting language to feelings I've had in my whole life. Wow. So like when you hear young people say, I don't like this person's vibe. I don't like that person's vibe. That is a really deep thing to say, but we don't know it. Young people just think that's just like saying, oh, I don't, I don't like them or I'm not feeling their energy or whatever. Yeah. But what they're really saying 
is all things in the universe are in motion. All matter is constantly in motion. It's vibrating, okay? And so when you walk into the room, the vibrations that you, your cells, your atoms have creates energy, just like anything else. It's like fire creates heat, energy, right? Yeah. So you're, when you walk into a space, you actually are bringing energy with the vibrations that your body is having. So if you walk into a space and there's another person and their vibration is off or at a lower frequency, you are going to feel it. You don't know exactly what it is. You can't put words to it, but you know it's off. And you're like, I don't like that person's vibe. So that's all. Of, that's the only language that young people can put it in. Sure. But what they're saying is the energy that this person is giving off is conflicting, is, is contrasting with my energy, and it is not making me feel good. Right? That's a powerful statement. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people don't know. So reading these books helped give me the language to explain a lot of that type of stuff in layman's terms to like an average everyday person. And wow. so it's just been helping me in this speaking journey. I mean, it's just it it's just um, very powerful what you're doing and, and the power that you're you're giving. And it's really the power that you're giving to these kids that you're talking to in, in reaching them when maybe teachers couldn't, parents couldn't, and, and you can, that, that is, that's an incredible gift that you've been given to do that. And, and from what I see, um, there are people all over the country and globally that are looking for you to come in because they see the power that you're, that you have and, and being able to help and influence and, and give people hope um, and give them some grit and, and resilience to just keep moving forward because it does get better. It's, it's just very powerful. And so, you know, when I was creating this episode, always at the end of each um, episode, I asked my guests to give three pieces of advice. And I thought to myself, you know what? I know you're very powerful because I listened to you at the Grow annual first um, anniversary party. And that's where I first saw you. And, um, and so like, I, I heard that and I thought to myself, I want to do something different with, with this, um, last two episodes of my podcast. And so I wanted to have the, the, um, interview first. And, and so I'm going to conclude this interview now, but then I want to have a special, just you and the audience and give a couple minutes of your positivity and your resilience speech, if you could, Everybody, you know, we're, we're heading towards the end of 2021. The last two years have been difficult for everyone in all different ways, but they've been difficult. And we don't know what 2022 is going to bring. It's, you know, we're not sure if it's the same of the last two or if it's going to be improvement. And so we're sort of hesitant. We're kind of like holding on to 2021 because at least we know what it's been like. But, but within a little... Um, hesitation with what 2022 is going to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end this podcast and then we're going to just record you giving us all a little bit of hope um, and encouragement. And I'm going to post that as a separate episode, just you talking. So um, I want to thank you, Duncan, for this portion of this episode, because hearing your story and the passion that you have, and you know, you've You've got it all. You've worked really hard over these years to get to where you are now. And you've, you've, you've hit a place where most people never get to. They never get to that place where 
they actually have that kind of empowerment to help others in the way that you're doing. And I know that 25 years from now, you're going to get people calling you back, bumping into you in the airport, seeing you somewhere and say, hey, you know what? I saw you speak at whatever school it was and you changed my life. Like it's going to happen. And so that that is just an incredible thing. So thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening to Sharp HR Career Corner. I started this two years ago and we're still going strong. I really enjoy having these kinds of conversations, learning about people that are right here and in Buffalo and learning about their stories and the incredible things that they're doing. So if you know someone um, who's part of this great resignation that we apparently are going through in this country and they want to make a change in their career but are having trouble figuring out what to do, please contact Sharp Human Resources. We'd love to help you out. So go to Sharp humanresources-buffalo.com for more information. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, I encourage you to download the podcast, leave a comment, and share with others you know. The more downloads, comments, and likes our podcast receives, the better our ratings and the easier we can be found. So thank you in advance. Until next time, be kind, everyone. We need to show a lot more kindness in the world, and it starts with you and I. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.